Hello, everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Tuesday, December 4th, and this is episode four of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassi, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Asalt Nasaki. What's up, Josh? Ho, ho, ho. And Skipper Ben. How's it going, Ben? I understand you guys only keep co-hosts around here for two episodes, so is this my last one? Uh, yeah, you're on the way out, so if any of our listeners are interested in being a co-host, by all means, hit up Josh and myself, but not Ben. I feel like I delivered that joke better the second time. <laughs> In the interest of full disclosure, this is our second attempt. Uh, uh, dumbass over here forgot to hit the record button, so we're, we're off to a good start so far. Um, three, three hours into our first attempt. <laughs> yes, yes. Our Christmas extravaganza destroyed forever, lost to the annals of time. We'll do it live! <laughs> So to set up what we're doing here, uh, this is a Christmas special. We're certainly not giving up on our Epcot discussion, but uh, tis the season and we wanted to discuss Christmas. Really, Josh wanted to discuss Christmas and Ben and I are just going to sit back and twiddle our thumbs and let, uh, thumbs and let him carry the show. Uh, so, so, Josh, why don't you tell us why you wanted to do this show and why we didn't really have a choice? Well, first, I should warn you that my ability to actually carry a conversation is rather limited, so <laughs> this might go off the rails in a hurry. If you um, hear me ooh and on, it's nothing about what you're saying. It's me watching the <laughs> Captain Marvel trailer. That just sounds like Charlie Brown's parents to me. I don't even know what you're talking about. The impetus for the show came when I was standing on my ladder hanging lights on the house, and... And you just fell and hit your head on the toilet. <laughs> and that's how you came up with the idea of Marty called episode four. Yes, we've actually already recorded this episode. <laughs> a little time travel joke for you. Uh, in any event, so, you know, as I was putting the lights up and realizing how much work it was just to do a very modest display of lights on a residential house, I, I actually had a moment, which I haven't had in a while, which was appreciation for something that still that Disney still does extraordinarily well, which is the transformation that they uh, put the parks through literally overnight. Um, and I thought that it might make interesting fodder for us to, to bang out a holiday special. So, so that's what we're going to do. And that's all we have. That's, that's <laughs> good night. Happy new year. <laughs> <laughs> to your point about them doing things overnight. What's really impressive to me is that they make the switch and yes, they do it early, but they make the switch from Halloween to Christmas in about a 48 hour period where they just rid the parks of Halloween stuff. And then the next night, seemingly they have the entire park decorated in uh, in Christmas regalia, especially at the magic kingdom. But there's obviously a large degree of planning that goes on with this. And this has evolved over the years. Um, I don't know if you guys want to go over some of the individual decorations that you like, some of the holiday overlays that you like, uh, stuff that you dislike, what doesn't work for you. But uh, where, did, where did you want to start, Josh or Ben? Um, I don't have any any specific things. I mean, uh, you know, that that stand out. It's sort to me, it's sort of the the aggregate effect of all of it. I, and I think that's what's most impressive is that it's not where I'm from in South Florida, and you have to be probably at least 30 to know this, if, even if you live there. But the National Choir is headquartered down there. And they were famous for 20 or 30 years. Every year, they had the world's largest living Christmas tree on display at their headquarters. They would bring it in from Oregon on a train and set it up as 120 feet tall, roughly. I mean, it was really, really impressive. And they had some trains and other lights there on the property and everything. But that, that was an experience where the highlight was clearly this one particular item. And and to me, Disney is pretty distinct from that because what, what really stands out to me is not one specific item, but just the degree to which the whole place is converted into, you know, ha- having sort of the feeling of Christmas around. So uh, it's more of a breadth, you know, it's very broad in terms of what they do. And I, to me, it's impressive just not only from the standpoint of how it looks, but like you said, the planning that goes into it, the storage of all of that stuff. And then, of course, setting it up, maintaining it. Uh, and they do an excellent job because... Uh, it's one of those things where their mastery of it is demonstrated by the fact that you don't really notice it. You know, if it were a big production that you saw them working on all the time, maybe the crane over the castle being accepted from this, um, you know, that would be more of a failure. But the fact that they do it and it seems so effortless is, to me, the most impressive part. I would say the thing I was uh, kind of the most jealous about that I didn't get to do back when I worked in the parks was I, I was always done before the fall season started. I was back home. And so I never got to do the whole uh leave the park at close and then come in the next day and it completely being transformed. Now, my wife, on the other hand, uh, she did get to work a fall through the winter season 
and was able to do that where she was in fantasy land, closed the park down at 10 o'clock. And then by the time the cast members came in the next morning, it was just like a new world. And uh, it just blows me away how they roll in and, and push that stuff out so fast and so efficiently and just transform, transform the park overnight. It was one thing I was just so jealous that I never got to see that in person myself. I've been back and visited many times during the winter seasons and there's nothing like it, but uh, to, to see how, I mean, it, it's uh, it's Disney at its best when, when they're able to pull that off. Yeah, I would agree with that. But for anyone who hasn't seen it, um, I would just say do a Google search and you can probably find it. There, there's a couple of time-lapse videos out there just from stationary cameras on Main Street that show, you know, a portion of this process taking place. And, and even that is remarkable. And obviously, they're, you know, that's just a tiny sliver of what they actually do. But it gives you some insight into how well orchestrated it is. I mean, this is not a case where they just throw a bunch of people at it and say, go at it and get it done when you can. I mean, it's very clearly, precisely scripted as to how they do all of this stuff. Um you know, and then some of the other things I want to talk about is how how carefully the decorations are designed uh, with respect to other things that happen in the parks, like parades, for example. Like there has to be if you're going to drape garland over Main Street, you might think, OK, well, whatever. But, you know, you've got floats that have to go under that stuff. And I imagine there's emergency response considerations that have to be there. I mean, it's definitely a big production and they they do it and make it look like nothing, which is which is pretty cool. You mentioned one thing that is really kind of a recent evolution with Main Street USA. They used to have Garland strung across uh, strung across the street, but since they brought in the new daytime parade, that went away, and they have, I guess they're kind of like on an arm extending from each of the buildings, right? Is that how it's set up now? Yeah, that's a good point. So I know that the uh, the Very Merry Christmas Party Parade their floats have to have a, a certain size limitation or height limitation more specifically for that purpose. But um, that has since changed. So I guess they can modify that parade in the future should they show so choose to. But the amount of time that is done beforehand so that they can do this in about 10 hours is, is insane. I mean, back when they were doing the Osborne lights, for example, they said they were working on that for probably three or four months leading up to it. I recall going in there in August and you could see some lights being strung up on the streets of America. But that's, that's amazing. When you think about how long a year is yeah, and you yeah. and you consider how long, you know, those lights are operational, both before and after Christmas, because it's not like on the 26th that stuff is gone. You know, you've got stuff, uh, hardware being installed that really is designed to be up for a pretty short period of time that's spending a significant portion of the year actually outside in the Florida weather. So it's, 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 uh, you know, even more impressive when you consider the abuse that that stuff goes through. I could be mistaken on the Osborne lights, but I thought that I had read somewhere that they don't reuse the light or they didn't reuse the lights year over year. That it was just much easier to take them down and trash them uh, on a year to year basis uh, just because it takes so long to set them up, but you can demolish something a lot quicker. So. If you don't have to <laughs> use it. <laughs> right, right. I, I thought they, that it would, go ahead. I thought they sent them all to Josh's house based on the pictures I've seen. <laughs> I mean, I have no idea how they actually, I think we're overselling my house, by the way. <laughs> we'll post the pictures in the show notes, but prepare to be disappointed based on that building. Uh, the Osborne lights are not a, a fair analog to what I do. Um, you know, I, I always heard that the Osborne family you know, donated those or something. I mean, Jim Hill has told several versions of the story and I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't remember any of them and, and I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, be confrontational to Jim here. It's just, you know, it seemed that there was some, there was some contribution there. So, you know, I, I don't, I have a hard time believing that the plan is to throw a hundred percent of them away or was to throw a hundred percent away. But I, but I, I have no doubt whatsoever that a significant portion of them would be retired and trashed every year just because that stuff just doesn't last, you know, under the best of circumstances. That's not permanent stuff. Just I imagine guess. hunting down that one bad light on a string yeah. with those. <laughs> one light goes out, they all go out. I could see them keeping some of those rigs in place because those rigs are the same, uh, like the rotating trees, all the yeah, yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. That type of stuff, I could certainly see them just putting that in storage, but just the strings of lights that line the buildings. I, I wouldn't be surprised if those are trashed on an annual basis or were I'd, trashed. On an annual I'd basis. love to talk to someone who is heavily involved in that process just to, you know, pick their brain. 
if we did any semblance of planning on the show, we probably could have researched who that was and, you know, who coordinated hey, these sorts of things. It's a miracle that we're even recording it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Are we recording? Let's check. <laughs> Looks like Craig is still here. All right. Excellent. So, Josh, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of insight into what you do at your house? And, Ben, if you decorate a cactus at your house, then by all means, <laughs> share some of that insight as well. So I'm somewhat uh, of a traditionalist in terms of Christmas lights. I'm not a big fan of the dancing lights and the pulsating stuff. I mean, I appreciate it for what it is uh, just because I've done enough. Uh, you know, Clark Griswold taught me everything I know about exterior illumination, and I've, I've done enough of it to appreciate the, the amount of work involved. But to me, it's it's not particularly Christmassy. I, I don't find it very pretty. It's just sort of more of an impressive technical feat than than what I equate to being a holiday display. So I have a combination of mini lights, which are just, you know, your regular Christmas lights and some of the older C7 and C9 bulbs, which are the bigger ones that, you know, they still sell them, but they're much less popular than they used to be. And I just put a whole shitload of them on my house, basically. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I plan it out and I try and do you know, I try to put a lot of care into it. So it's, I'm pretty OCD of a person and I, you know, I try and make sure that everything's sort of, it's definitely not haphazard. I'll say that about it. Um, but like some of the challenges when you start having a lot of lights that you don't think about if you just have a few, is just the amount of current that they draw requires like an incredible amount of planning. Um, as my wife will attest to, because a few years ago, every time the water heater came on and the garage door opened, our house would just go black. So, <laughs> Henry? <laughs> Josh's wife couldn't use a hairdryer for a month and a half. Exactly. <laughs> At the end of the show, I've got a few tips of lessons learned the hard way that I'll share with people if they're if they're <laughs> if they're interested. But um, you know, that was sort of what gave me the idea for the show is just the challenges that that Disney would face with the scope of what they do. Um, you know is a big deal and you might look at it and go well i have christmas lights at their at my house they have christmas lights you know in the parks it's the same thing but it's not when you go to that scale you know you you need legitimate infrastructure to to carry those loads and distribute that power uh in a way that is you know makes it robust and reliable because you don't they don't want guests going in there and half the lights being out so uh, you know it's uh it, it's one of those things that just it's so subtle that most people wouldn't care but when you've had your hand in it at all, you realize that it's a pretty big undertaking and they, they do a pretty damn good job of it. So as we discuss Christmas lights, the two big displays and Osborne lights was obviously the hugest display, uh, the biggest display. Hugest is that anyway, uh, then you, we'll allow it. Yes. <laughs> then you also had, we got rid of the other one in the recording that didn't happen. So uh, we can have one Tim can't speak English segment of this show. Uh, the other one was the lights of winter over at Epcot, which was a little bit more pared down a little bit more in tune with what Epcot was. So it was, uh, if I'm not mistaken, entirely white lights. And it was just those archways Arches, leading yeah. into, into a, a showcase plaza. It was but really nice. I actually, it really that. was. It was a much more, well, I guess to say it's tasteful is inherently subjective. Um, but if you have, you know, a more traditional notion of Christmas lights, I think that would be more your speed than what the Osborne lights are, which are very phrenic. And if you have any, uh, you know, propensity to have a seizure, that would have not <laughs> probably been the experience for you. But, uh, you know, the Epcot display was much more subdued. And if we say anything about bad about the Epcot display, we'll get flamed on Twitter. Uh, right. right. <laughs> so we, we loved it. We loved There's it. not much bad to say about it, honestly. <laughs> and I, I can yeah. say that sincerely. The laughable thing about that for me, though, was back in the day when that was going away, WDW Magic had a 200-page thread discussing it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it was, it, crazy. it was insane how how much love there was for – a that seasonal was, light display. That was the greatest attraction Disney had ever put in those parks. I heard that too. <laughs> <laughs> the Osborne lights didn't get a tenth of that attention, and it was a more substantial event in my mind. The lights of winter, I'm not meaning to dismiss it, was part of a greater thing that Epcot did with the various um, characters and storytellers around World Showcase. Obviously, the Peace on Earth tag on Illuminations. Uh, uh, the retelling of Christmas at the Candlelight Processional. There's a lot going on there, and they removed this. The reason for them removing it was kind of laughable. I believe the official word was that the technology behind these was obsolete. Uh, <laughs> so, Josh, can you explain to me how light bulbs are now obsolete? Yes. <laughs> the future's all ball bearings, Tim. Lights <laughs> are out. 
it, you know, so, I, not not to steal the thunder from episode five, but I, that is almost another example. There's something about Epcot that that's hard to put into words that people there's been so much there over the years that people just grow attached to it. It is a place that creates bonds with people for sometimes inexplicably, you know, with, with a temporary light display, but nonetheless, that is a place it, it just somehow unrelentingly creates these bonds where people don't want anything there to go away. Um, which I think a lot of businesses would look at as being like a, a real strength, um, that the Disney company seems to loathe. So it's a, just a, another interesting example to me of, of the, of the nostalgia and love that people have for that place. We get those similar threads on Barbie's birthday party and what's the <laughs> one of the crappy things to be having Epcot. The uh, the Circus Spectacular, the Daredevil Circus Spectacular, Surprise in the Skies, Daytime Fireworks, nothing's better than those. Uh, what other what other crappy things do we have in Epcot in the 80s and 90s that we... Well, I mean, the wand, I mean, that, <laughs> yes. that's, that's one exa- a counterexample, I guess, you know, an anti-pattern yeah. where people are actually like, yes, this, this thing needs to go. I, I'd like to suggest that the Barbie and Daredevil Circus Spectacular and Daytime Fireworks were also counterexamples. <laughs> <laughs> I it, honestly uh, didn't. I didn't even catch the bar. I didn't. I don't even know what that was. To be completely honest with you, <laughs> look up Barbie and Epcot when you get a chance. It was think, a show that they did in the nineties, I think. I think but, my net nanny filter would block that out. <laughs> probably, probably a good idea. She knows what I like. Did either of you ever experience the uh, Christmases around the world that they used to do at World Showcase? Uh, it was about eight years ago when I got to experience it, but they had the different representations of Santa yeah. uh, in each in each country and told the story of Christmas and the story of Santa uh, for each country. I That was one of my favorite things ever around the holidays there. They haven't done it in many years, but... Uh, I think they're still doing it, Ben. Are they still doing it? I think so. As far as I know, they're still doing that. Uh, if they are, it's something uh, that needs to be seen. I mean, it's a, it's a great uh, putting that into those areas in, in the park and uh, bringing a little educational value along. I, mean, I learned so much sitting there and listening to each one of those stories. And uh, my kids loved it. I loved it. It's, it's really, really cool. Yeah, my wife and I saw it, I'm going to guess 2013. So that would be five years ago. And, you know, it's it's an example of using... World Showcase is a backdrop to do these, you know, sorts of things that it's like you have this incredible uh, stage that you've set. And sometimes, I mean, I can't, all of the countries that are there, I mean, Germany in particular stands out as being a particularly strong one. It's just perfect for this sort of thing. I mean, it's just begging for them to do that. So, well, I was there in early November and went to a Christmas party. And I uh, did not see those stages being set up yet, but maybe that's because it was freaking November 2nd that I was at Christmas <laughs> stuff and, and it comes along a little later. But uh, yeah, it's just one of the best things they do uh, at Epcot to celebrate the holidays. Well, the event, the uh, Festival of the Holidays event runs from November, November 18th through December 30th. Although I'm looking on the website right now and I'm not seeing the the uh, storytellers that they've had in the past. So it's entirely possible they did get rid of them, but I was under the impression that they've been there for within the last few years, at least. So they still do the candlelight processional. They introduced holiday kitchens because who knew people want to buy food and alcohol at these things. Crazy. Uh, Is it it still Barney from how I met your mother that does the uh, eating? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, They still do the, Peace on Earth tag, which I've dubbed World War Three tag, which is kind of ironic <laughs> on Illuminations. <laughs> yep. And hopefully they do something similar when uh, the new fireworks show comes into play. But um, yeah, I'm looking around. And I'm actually not seeing those, Ben. So I'll, if any of our listeners happen to know what happened to the storytellers, if they're if they're still going on, if if they, uh, you know what, looking at this now, uh, it does look like they have versions of them at uh, some of the locations. Um, there's a, I, I only remember seeing a couple, but I mean, and that was enough, you know, I mean, it's, that's, uh, it, it took probably, it was probably like a 15 minute reading, you know? So yeah. I don't know that I would have wanted to do seven of them. Um, but you know, the couple that we saw were, were neat and, uh, you know, it's definitely, it's a plus, it's something we didn't know about it. I mean, I'm sure it was on a schedule somewhere, but you know, a show schedule, but you know, we were Floridians, we didn't look, but it was just a nice, thing to run into. So what I had for previous examples of this, and again, I I should have looked this up beforehand, but um, they had at American Adventure, they had learning the traditions of Hanukkah and Kwanzaa and uh, the Voices of Liberty became the Dickens carolers. 
They had Canada. Kwanzaa at the American Pavilion. They did. Yep. They yeah. did. Yep. yep. Interesting. Over at uh, Canada, they had the Canadian Holiday Voyagers, which I believe had um, members of. Now the band's name is escaping me. This is uh, blasphemous for Epcot fans who used to play at um, the stage in Epcot. Ben, the logging um, guys. No, not the logging guys. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. We've got people banging their heads against. Them. <laughs> I know. These assholes have a podcast about this. They know nothing. Uh, give me a second. It'll come to me. Over at China, they had the Chinese lion dancers. France, uh, you could learn about uh, Pierre Noel. Um, Germany, you had uh, Helga telling the story of the first Christmas tree and her first nutcracker. Italy, you would meet with La Befana. Uh, Japan, you would learn about the Dorama doll and other Japanese customs. I, I will apologize to any and all cultures whose pronunciations I'm butchering. Uh, Mexico, you had mariachis and dancers in Mexico. Um, Norway, you had the storyteller Sigrid, who would teach guests about Julian Nesson, uh, the Christmas gnome. And the United Kingdom had Father Christmas sharing stories that dated back to the 15th century. I, I remember the uh, Canadian Santa was our favorite because he was like a buff lumberjack. It was, uh, it was very different. <laughs> I'm going to look up the uh, Canadian Voyagers because I think they, I feel that they must have done these last year, but maybe not this year. Off kilter. Um, That's it. Thank, thank you. you. There we go. <laughs> Hang up job, everybody. Thank you. I'm done. I'm going to, I'm leaving. See ya. Nice pod, guys. <laughs> Maybe we should discuss something that we've actually seen, or at least can, can experience. Ben, uh, you went over to the Very Merry Christmas uh, Christmas Party within the last two weeks, right? Three weeks? Uh, a month, yeah. But it, okay. it, was, a, it was the second night uh, this year, and... Uh, it's funny because I find myself every time we go around this time of year, uh, it's usually because we have season passes. We, we uh, get them during the summer and try to get a second trip in the following summer, but we'll always try to squeeze in a trip around Halloween or Christmas. And every time we do that, uh, I swear to myself, I'm not spending the extra hundred dollars per person to go to one of these parties uh, because I'm already having our tickets taken care of in the summer. And then uh, lo and behold, Weeks out, I start looking at stuff. I start getting in the Christmas spirit. I start looking at what Disney does with Christmas. And I always end up forking over the $400 for us to go to a <laughs> uh, party to get a bunch of cookies uh, and, and watch a parade and watch fireworks. But you know what? I We love it. We, we never walk away going, man, I wish we hadn't spent that money. Uh, they do such a great job of just getting you in the the, the weird thing I found, this is the earliest we've ever done the party. And I have been in the Christmas spirit since November 2nd. Uh, when we were there for it, I was worried about it being just way too early for us to experience it this year, but that was not the case. There's no way you can go to one of those parties and not just get taken in with everything. The decorations, the fireworks, the parade, the parade is amazing. The fireworks are amazing. Uh, and they've done a good job over the years of uh, plussing it with extra entertainment. There's stage, uh, different shows in different areas of the park uh, to go along with the uh, handing out of the cookies. Uh, we walked away with getting like <laughs> Uh, we, uh, it seems like the cookies are the nucleus of this operation. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's like when you go to the Mickey's not so uh, the, the Halloween party, you, you kind of try to justify the price of it with like, how much candy you can walk out with. And, and you, you do the math and like, hey, I covered <laughs> you know half, half of our park tickets based on little stickers bars. Uh, so we kind of did the same with the uh, cookies. But the thing is, the cookies were amazing. Uh, you, you, you might think you're getting uh, – stale you know cheaply made store whatever they 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 wouldn't be up to standards of stuff that you would get in like the uh, main street bakery it's not the case the cookies were absolutely amazing at every stop we went to uh so it it made it fun and they were spread out throughout the entire park of of, uh getting these things so you get a little little i say free treats of course it was four hundred dollar free treats uh (laughs) to get these things but uh again this was the I think this is the fourth time that we've done Mickey's uh, Christmas party. And again, I would, I, I'll, I'll say that we aren't going to do it again until we book that trip. And in a couple of days in advance, I find out that I want to do it and uh, we hit it and, and we went on a sold out night. It was Oof. packed, but uh, we, we did everything we wanted to do. We walked on every ride we wanted to walk on. Uh, we caught the parade, the second parade. They had two parades per night. That first parade, if you want to get a spot on Main Street for pictures or anything like that, you're going to sit there for three hours, and I can't justify doing that uh, with the price of the party. So we wait for the second parade, found a nice little spot out in front of Hall of Presidents, had a great view of it. The parade is – it's so good. Uh, 
And then the fireworks, the same thing. Uh, even on a sold out night, we were able to find a spot 15 minutes before the fireworks in front of the castle and weren't jammed up like you normally are on a uh, regular busy summer night. So, uh, and luckily with the uh, holiday wishes show, you get the 360 fireworks along with it. The only thing on that is they, uh, they have not updated the projections on the castle, like you see with all the other shows, you're, you're still using the old standard uh, lights on the castle with with minor minor animations to them. Uh, they're not doing the project mapping on there. I thought there's rumors out there of them finally updating that show. That's the one thing. If they they've can done plus, surveys on it, yeah, they, they've got to plus that thing up. And if they take that to the next level and add the project mapping uh, to the special Christmas projection. fireworks projection mapping, sorry. Uh, <laughs> Like doing a show I'm, not, with I'm trying to say I'm trying no. to save us all from email. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, that'll just be you know take that party to the next level and really justify the price on it. To clarify our previous conversation before jumping back to the Magic Kingdom, the storytellers have some of them have remained, but they are swapping out a lot of them with musicians, uh, most specifically Morocco and Germany this year, in addition to Canada and Mexico uh, a few years ago. So there are still some that are there, but there's a mixture now of the storytellers and musical acts at the various pavilions and world showcase. So we're okay with that change. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think Epcot's entertainment has evolved. And when, uh, what was a Canada, a Canadian band again, Ben off Off kilter, when when off kilter left, uh, there were riots in the streets. And I think if you look back historically, Epcot's entertainment is probably better today than it was back then because they've been keeping things fresh. So anyway, uh, back to the Magic Kingdom and the Very Merry Christmas Party. Josh, have you done this or the Halloween party, any of these? It's To be honest, it's not really my thing. The, the most compelling reason to do it actually just came from Ben. Um, although that, I'm referring to the part where he, where he said it was awesome and put him in the Christmas. Like that part is exciting to me, but then the part about how busy it was and and the price is... <sighs> it would be very, very hard for me to justify spending the money on that. Um, you know, maybe if I had kids, I would view it differently, but uh, it's, it's not really my cup of tea. I don't think it's very possible. If I went, I would love it and be converted and regret not doing it sooner. But from where I sit now, probably not something that I would ever do. Ben, when you say it's crowded, can you clarify that? Because my understanding is that main street USA is crowded come parade time, but the reality is, it's probably like a one or a two equivalent on the crowd calendar when you spread out the crowds around the entire park, as long as you avoid Main Street USA during key times. Oh, for sure. Uh, The panic set in when we were going through the uh, end of parking and you had the signs out saying that tonight's party was sold out. Uh, We, you just don't know what that means. And when you're paying a premium price on a private, you know, uh, on an event like this, you're wanting the smallest crowds as possible. And, uh, yeah, we didn't wait for anything. We we literally like I, maybe the longest ride we waited in line for was Space Mountain, maybe ten minutes, maybe fifteen minutes, and this is on a sold out night. Uh, again, the only thing that I found that was overly crowded was that first parade. If you wanted to spot on Main Street for that first parade, you were you were in there with a ton of people. But once that parade was over, people cleared back out into the park, and even with the fireworks, you you were able to on a Busy, busy summer night or holiday night, uh, non-parade night, or just on a standard park night, <laughs> uh, you know, to get a spot in front of the castle for the fireworks, you've got to get there an hour plus. And even at that point, you're going to be shoulder to shoulder with everybody. What I mean for the crowds on this one is we got there 15 minutes early and I could spread my arms out and have space all around me. And uh, no obstructed views. It was it was perfectly fine. Again, with the rides, no weights. Uh I think 30 minutes uh, I saw for mine train. We had done it already during the day, so we didn't wait for that one, but everything else was a, a walk on essentially. Uh, so on nights and from what I understood being the second night, uh, one, there was a lot of media in the park uh, on top of it uh, to go along with the crowd. Those first couple nights are always sold out. And then you have a good solid month of non sold out nights. So uh, leading up into when you get closer to Christmas, those parties get packed, but you know, during those, that month when it's not sold out, I'd imagine you have a real enjoyable time and get to do everything you want to do with, with very minimal weight for anything. So the magic kingdom in Florida only has the one seasonal overlay for Christmas. Really it's jingle cruise. It no longer has a country bear. 
Christmas special. Um, it doesn't do Haunted Mansion Holiday. It doesn't do anything. But it's a small world. Do you feel have you have you been to California during the holidays? Yes. How do you how do you think the two compare? And I know California doesn't. They've tried upcharge events in the past, but they're typically they've they've gone away from those upcharge events there. You know, I it might be a bit unfair to really rank the two. I've done more in Florida where okay. they seem to theme the parks out quite a bit more. Now, granted, in the last couple of years, you've seen the additions to like Cars Land with extra decorations right. to that area. Uh, I know they've they've done a lot more theming around the parks. The last time I was there around Christmas is probably it's been about six years ago. Uh, and you went for Haunted Mansion, um, the, the the Nightmare Before Christmas overlay there, and you also went for the It's a Small World holiday attraction. But the rest of the park, I don't remember a lot of theming, a lot of Christmas decorations, maybe just through Main Street, but nowhere else out, out in the parks. Uh, but I know that's changed over the last few years. Now, having those two overlays for those two major attractions, to me, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I could not get enough of Haunted Mansion holiday, but the really the one that blew me away is uh, it's a small world and the holiday the overlay they put on that i don't think it gets nearly enough attention compared to what happens over at the haunted mansion uh i really think the it's a small world holiday is almost worth the price of admission around christmas time for that ride by itself it they do such a spectacular job in there uh the lights that it's almost like having the osborne family lights put inside it's a small <laughs> world it really is and it's something that you know no youtube video or anything can uh give it justice to, to what it actually looks like in person. So we discuss, or we discussed on here, just changing the exterior facades of buildings overnight. And they're not changing haunted mansion to haunted mansion holiday overnight, or it's a small world and it's a small world holiday overnight. But that transformation in itself, that the original attractions are iconic and switching it over to a seasonal overlay is something that, I don't want to. I don't want to call it a misconception. Let's just call it a conception that uh, they're the pe- the people's vacations are going to be ruined by having this seasonal overlay on something, and that was an excuse given for why this is done in California but not in Florida. Uh, personally, I would love to see this type of thing on a regular basis, and it doesn't even necessarily need to be to the extent that Haunted Mansion Holiday is, or it's a small world over at Jungle Cruise. It's not the. It's not to that same extent, but it's something that they can do overnight. Um, yeah, some I, of your screen-based attractions can do it with a snap of a finger, basically. Thanos could do it. but I, I think that the, the temporary changes to attractions based on, you know, I'm not going to say current events, but, but holidays, for example, is one way to increase their longevity in a way. Um, yeah. You know, I, I sort of get, I'm a somewhat creative person. I'm not an artist, but you know, I, I like to tinker with things. And when I was in high school, I did, I was into custom cars and everything. And, and I get, and I think that, that Imagineering are probably those same types of people where they want to be working on something. The concept of something being finished is sort of boring to someone who likes to build something. And I, I think that that plays into, to some degree, sort of the motive force behind getting rid of attractions and replacing them. This idea that it doesn't matter if it's good. The fact that it's been the same for however many years means that, you know, they're done with it. They don't appreciate necessarily the nostalgic connection it has to, uh, you know, guests. They're, they're more concerned with the fact that they feel some impetus to change these things and keep them evolving. And, and to me, you know, we don't want the, there's this old, you know, famous, uh, quote from the Disney company that the parks are not museums. Um, and that's sort of been used to justify demolishing attractions and replacing them. But I think holiday overlays are somewhat of a middle ground. It's a way to change these things, to to keep them fresh, to give people a different experience when they come there without, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater and getting rid of the attraction altogether. So in light of how many great attractions we've lost forever, um, I'm not particularly swayed by the notion that you shouldn't feel freedom to inject some holiday theming into these things for fear that you're going to ruin people's vacations. And, you know, with the previous regime, like in Florida, that was going off that uh, talking about ruining people's vacations with the attraction being down with, with the new power shift over and, you know, the, the, all the IPs that are going into the parks and, and over, you know, I would think that we're closer now to maybe getting Haunted Mansion Holiday in Florida than we've ever been. I, I 
shocked that it's not something that has already been put on the books, especially when you go to the parks and you see how much uh, Nightmare Before Christmas merch moves. Uh, It's hotter now than it's ever been. It's, you know, you go to Hot Topic, you go to any of these stores, people are buying this stuff. I would think that that overlay and just the the merchandise they could sell off of putting that attraction in there, I would think it's got to be back on the books at some point here. Some of the easier ones to do. I, I'm, I'm with you, Ben. I think that Haunted Mansion Holiday in Florida makes a ton of sense. I think they could realistically get away with a Nightmare Before Christmas attraction at this point. But Without a doubt. Um, and I'm, I'm not really a fan of the movie, but I think that there is enough. there are enough fans of that movie to justify making an attraction for that ride. Um, I could certainly see It's a Small World getting, I don't know how long it goes down for. It's probably a few weeks uh, in order to make that transformation. But things like Toy Story Mania, Monsters, Inc., Laugh Floor, those screen-based attractions that are a little bit more lighthearted, that's just a programming thing where they should be able to do that overnight and give some seasonal life into those attractions. Are you sure they can update Toy Story Mania? (laughs) uh, They they, they told us they could. They've done it once. (laughs) They lost, somebody lost the thumb drive that had the original source code. <laughs> it really is laughable because something a ride like that, and don't get me wrong, I, I enjoy the ride, but it's something that they should be, you know, have some level of variability on, uh, not necessarily even an annual basis, but they could go on a seasonal basis. They could have Halloween. They could have any other noteworthy ho- uh, uh, holidays over the course of the year where you just roll in new games or put a Santa hat on, on Woody, you know. Let me just point something out here. This is a little bit off topic, but that ride to me is ponderous because the whole point of the vehicles is to take you from one screen to a physically identical different screen that just has <laughs> different content. on It literally would be like walking from one room of your house into another room instead of to, where there's another TV, instead of just like flipping the channel, be like all of these TVs only get one channel. So we have to physically relocate ourselves to see the other channel. Like it's a very odd premise in my mind. You are not the only person to mention this, Josh. <laughs> well, good. <laughs> but having, having said that, uh, it doesn't mean that the attraction isn't popular and it isn't fodder for easy updates. So for sure. I mean, well, my point was actually to, yes. to back you up that, yeah, you know, yeah. take advantage of the fact that there's no real physical props there and, and inject new content exactly. and, cons- and do it randomly. You know, I should be yeah. able to go through that thing and never have it be the same experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. And while we're doing that, you can put the uh, star Wars Christmas special in star tours for a month. I think that'd be great. I think we could do that. <laughs> I think uh, George Lucas is going to sue somebody if if you do that. But uh, (laughs) you mentioned the Cars Land decorations, and we're seeing some of that over in Toy Story Land as well, where these these new builds are being designed with these holiday overlays in mind. Not necessarily overlays, but holiday decorations in mind. And we've discussed that trying to put a new attraction into an existing area doesn't necessarily... It dilutes the original area at times. I think when they're building these lands with these holiday decorations in mind as well, it just it it enhances it more than anything. And Cars Land especially looks great. They've got some very creative uses of uh, parts of a car to to decorate for Christmas. And they they did a little bit on a lighter scale over at Toy Story, but. Um, it's it's impressive what they're doing with this. Listen, I'm easy to please, and I was there for the Toy Story decorations, and I loved it. And you know, putting a simple scarf around Woody's neck just uh, kind of tra- <laughs> it, it was it, it as simple as that sounds. It was cool, and I liked it. And we had to get our picture in front of it. And as you go through the park, I mean, the the, the things that they added in there are not cheap additions. Like you said, they're planning for it. These are big sturdy structures that they're putting in there again oh yeah, almost overnight that this stuff uh you're you're there one day and the next day you show up and you're like where, where the heck did that come from uh they did a great job with it and it's just something i hope that they keep doing uh as they keep building out you know new sections of these parks with yeah. toy story oh god i was just gonna say ben reminded me of something that you know with regard to how difficult it is to to do these overnight transformations i do i do think that when the company has a plan in mind when they create the lands that they can, they have the opportunity to make that job so much easier on themselves. You know, uh, um, 
like I was saying before, there's a lot of infrastructure involved. I mean, nothing complicated, but there's got to be, you know, you don't want to be Disney having extension cords run all over the place. You know, it's a trip hazard. It's a fire hazard. You just can't do it. There's got to be outlets, you know, pretty close to where these things are all going. And if you have, you know, a concept in mind for holiday decorations being added on top of everything that's there when you build it in the first place, that's just going to be a, you know, an investment that pays dividends for the rest of the life of that park. I do find it interesting, though, because I don't think that they planned any of this stuff when they built Cars Land, because for many years, they did not put these holiday overlays in that section. And so uh, when they when they finally did and the reaction it got, I find it interesting now with the new lands like Toy Story Land. I think the planning is in in place now for them to realize that people like seeing this stuff. But, yeah, Cars Land went a good five years without having any kind of holiday decorations. And I think it was the Halloween one that they rolled out first that it went over so well that uh, it only makes sense for uh, the Imagineers to, to plan this now in all the new sections that are going up. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, some of these new lands lend themselves to a toy story. Children equate toys with, with the holidays and that in itself is lighthearted. I would be pretty surprised if we see significant holiday decorations over in Star Wars land. It just doesn't seem appropriate for that. Right. But um, maybe you don't, know, you don't know if they don't celebrate Christmas in the outer rims of the galaxy. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> we don't know that. But perhaps over at like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. Um, I know that they're using uh, project or projection technology as part of that <laughs> attraction. And it's entirely so, possible that they build that into uh, to that attraction, much in the same way that they promised us a Toy Story, uh, Toy Story Mania. But we, I, I think, where it's appropriate are some of those children-based attractions, children-based lands, and to see how they implement that. I think Cars Land is really the best example of it. And yes, it, it's very convenient that a car tire looks a lot like a wreath if you put a bow on it, and that helps with a lot of the decorations. But um, well, cir- Circles are not uncommon structures in <laughs> architecture, so... <laughs> <laughs> That's a fair point. That, that uh, pattern probably rears its head in other places. But at the same time, there aren't a lot in Toy Story Land. So, I mean, Ben, you can speak to this a little bit better than either of us can. But one thing I did see was, you know, oversized cookies of some of the characters on it, or as you said, scarves on on some of the characters. Yeah, there so, are or- ornaments in the cookies. And again, th- these are large, big structures that took a lot of time to design and make. So, uh, and considering how new that land is, it's it's interesting that I would like to see the process, how how far back it went into the planning that they were going to make these overlays go in, because it was something that, uh, you know, not a lot of fanfare that, that it went up. I remember the pictures of the especially the scarf on Woody is it's so big that you can't uh, <laughs> you can't overlook it. And but it did seem like one of those things that just popped up on Twitter the morning that that people started walking in there for the first time going, what, what the heck is that? Uh, and it looks great. They did a great job with it. If anyone is taking a shot every time that Ben says cookies, they're going to be in the emergency room in the next 10 minutes. I still have like 30 of those cookies downstairs. I can go get some if y'all send them to Now, you. did you go to Tony's merriest town square party as well? I did not go to that. I'm not paying another $99, $100 that, on is top that of the, my Is past. that the yo dog I heard you like upcharges? Up yes. Charges your up <laughs> yep. yep. <laughs> no, uh, I drew the line there. Did not go to that. You know, somebody got a promotion for that. And like. <laughs> It's, Boss, it's I've heard a rumor that people are leaving the parks and they still have money in their pockets. Well, let's get right on that. <laughs> we apparently can't just pick them up and shake their wallets out of their <laughs> out of their pockets when they walk through the door. This is um, pretty close. So, so Ben, as a former Jungle Cruise skipper, uh, or, or when you when I say former Jungle Cruise skipper, is that in itself offensive? Or are you always one once a Jungle Cruise skipper, always a Jungle Cruise okay. skipper? As a Jungle Cruise skipper, uh, pound your chest in uh, solidarity, I guess. Um, how do you feel about Jingle Cruise? I love it. I Here to elaborate. Love it. Uh, <laughs> that's it. Uh, no, it's another It's another one of those that they didn't announce that it was coming this year. So as yeah. we were planning our trip, uh, I was not expecting to do it. You know, Jungle Cruise is something that we do once every trip. My kids kind of hate it when I drag them over there, but I'm, uh, <laughs> I, I'm you know, Jungle Cruise till I die. But uh, when I heard it was going up, I was so excited and didn't know what to expect. I, I, I watched one or two YouTube videos a couple years ago. It's not something I followed every every year. It went up to, to see what the updates were. So it kind of went in uh, with a with a blank slate. And granted, they don't do a whole lot. It's it's some Christmas presents thrown throughout the jungle. 
they don't really tell you the story too much on it. It's it's uh, presents being dropped for the skippers from the sky, and they just kind of land where they go. Uh, the gorilla camp scene is definitely the best scene as far as the uh, added decorations in there. Uh, and then, of course, you had the new Christmas jokes. And uh, I loved it. My kids loved it. We actually did it three times on this trip. We went back uh, multiple times just to, to kind of take it all in. Uh, and, and the funny part is I saw some threads going up, especially with some former skippers uh, that don't like it and don't like the added jokes and uh, wish it, you know, stayed the same during this time period as a, uh, as a skipper, the, you know, kind of the worst thing about the attraction is the jokes getting stale over and over and over and over every day. Uh, so I would have loved to have been able to do this and had, the uh, Christmas jokes, I thought they all fit in. Nothing was really forced at all. It, all the jokes made sense. The updates to the script was great. And uh, it's, a, I, I, I like it, especially for, you know, what the month and a half, two months that it's up. It's uh, again, a, a really quick change to the attraction. The attraction doesn't go down. So it's not ruining any trips. Not that jungle cruise being down would ruin anybody's trip, but uh, you know, my able, brothers. Hey, I would be sad for sure, but uh, there's not a whole lot of us out there that are, that or that way, but it's such a quick and easy change to that ride that uh, I think it's it, it freshens that area of the park up really nicely. And I, I think it makes sense too. I, I mean, we talk about placemaking all the time, or uh, you know, on all three episodes, and for the five years that we've been <laughs> talking to each other beforehand, it does make sense that if you're going to go all in on decorating the parks for Christmas, you're going to create an atmosphere of of Christmas to to have at least some carry through of that into the attractions where it makes sense. You know, obviously. I don't want to be going through Space Mountain and get hit in the face with a Christmas wreath that's hanging from one of those beams. But, you know, <laughs> in places where there's a logical way to do it, uh, you know, why wouldn't you? I think they have to look at some of the shows that are deemed classics but don't draw the crowds that they used to. Things like the Tiki Room, things like Country Bears. And Country Bears, they used to do the seasonal uh, overlays. They still do them out in Japan. They have the the summertime one, and then they do the Christmas one as well. In addition to the regular show, those types of things do extend the useful life of these attractions. And I hope that Jungle Cruise isn't uh, on the way out anytime soon. But this does kind of revitalize it on a seasonal basis. And if the movie with the Rock sucks and that doesn't uh, add additional life to it, then Jingle Cruise will probably continue. My kids have never asked me, can we go ride the Jungle Cruise again, ever? And they did it twice on this trip. There you no, go. Perfect example. Yeah, that's impressive. I, Country Bears is interesting to me um, for sort of the opposite of what Jim just said. I was under the impression a few years ago that that thing was on borrowed time. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting to me that they would have stopped doing the holiday overlay and that we still have it. It, it almost It's almost like they forgot about it. The placement of that attraction doesn't really allow them to do much else in that space. So I think putting in those seasonal overlays would help. I mean, they shorten the attraction a little bit, I think, because people just wouldn't go in there. There's a mentality that something that takes 20 minutes in a Disney park isn't worth doing, but you'll gladly wait 90 minutes for a two-minute mine train ride. I don't, I don't or or that, wait but. on the side of Main Street for two hours so that you can be closer right. to a parade. So th there's definitely some internally inconsistent <laughs> logic as to what people's pay, uh, you know attention spans are these days. And yeah, we'll you, go ahead. you guys don't know this about me, but the Country Bear Jamboree is my absolute favorite attraction of all time. And I've, uh, I've sent in some specific threats uh, that would happen <laughs> if they took it away. So it's, it's going to be there for a while, guys, I promise. As your lawyer, I'm, I'm going to recommend renaming that file. <laughs> <laughs> Threats.doc is not, not the best thing to have the FBI find on your computer. The, uh, the Country Bears, for me, it's, it's more of an indifference. Um, Marie has never seen the regular version 100% in English. The, the only time she's seen it in Walt Disney World, it was the holiday version. So that tells you how long ago we saw it there. And then over in Tokyo, they have a hybrid version of both Japanese and English, which satisfies nobody in the audience. But they have three different versions of that uh, hybrid version. And Ooh, tell us more about your Japan trip. <laughs> I could go on for hours. But <laughs> the uh, something like that, yes, it'll take a little bit to do that seasonal overlay. but. I don't know, as Ben said about the Jungle Cruise, people's vacations generally aren't ruined if the Jungle Cruise isn't isn't running. 
I think Country Bear Jamboree is probably another one of those attractions that for the masses, if it's not open for the two weeks that your trip is going on, but it means that it gets an increased attendance spike during the holidays, then I think that's worthwhile. And they were doing it for decades, and now uh, now they no longer do it. But I think it's something that they should certainly reconsider. Agreed. Along with Holla Presents Holiday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just put <laughs> scarves on everybody. Everybody gets red and green ties. <laughs> <laughs> are there any uh, additional attractions? We've mentioned a few, but since this is a, an Imagineering show that we can think of off the top of our heads that would work as a holiday over. Um, I mean, perhaps we can open this up to listeners as well in our discussion, but there are, I don't know that Jungle Cruise was a natural fit, but it works. I don't think anybody, anybody's truly offended by it, uh, except for Ben's former skipper friends, but. Could you put could you put Christmas hats on pirates? Would that be no. too much? No, no, no. I th- I don't think that works so well. What about a giant Christmas hat on one of the spires of um, Thunder Mountain? No. <laughs> <laughs> I do think uh, you threw it out there, and I've thought this for a while as well. With uh, I'm surprised we haven't seen some kind of dark ride around uh, the Nightmare Before Christmas, and. I wonder, you know, there's all kinds of rumors over at Universal stuff that they're going to do. They obviously had a very big hit movie uh, this winter with The Grinch. Yeah. Uh, there has been rumors. I, I've talked to some people over there that, they, you know, they looked at the Lorax. They looked at The Grinch as a possible dark ride addition to that park. If they were to go in with a Grinch attraction, is that the you know perfect opportunity for Disney to counter with a Nightmare Before Christmas dark ride? Because I think that would be amazing. They could do so. As much as I love Haunted Mansion Holiday, it is a quick fix for uh, fans of uh, Nightmare Before Christmas, but if they went all in with a brand new attraction, uh, man, I think there's a, so much potential there. What if it's an overlay on Rock and Roller Coaster? What if they, you know, get new cars or at least new shells for the cars and make it a Nightmare Before Christmas you roller coaster? Sleigh. Yeah, yeah, make it a sleigh, make it something like that. So, studios would have how many attractions? Right now, if that went down for that, no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> they had three for a couple of weeks in June this year, so uh, not uh, you know after everything opens in that park, I, I don't think I'd be against that idea. Uh, yeah. It might be a little interesting how to incorporate the queue and everything with GeForce Records and kind of. I think make, they'd have to gut it and start work. over. Yeah, I, yeah. I think they'd, they'd have to start it over, and they're only keeping the roller coaster and just keep uh, track okay, so, itself. I'm not. I'm not totally against that. So. Back when the discussion, the exterior would be the biggest problem there because they, I mean, the whole thing about studios was it was a literal free pass on exterior saving because it's like, well, we built these rides and sound stages anyway. Oh my gosh, we can just literally do that and do no theming at all. (laughs) And it it is no theming is theming. High five synergy. (laughs) The nice thing about rock and roller coaster though, I mean, you have to go out of your way to look for that sound stage where the actual coasters housed in that, and you know, you can you could do so much with the actual building where the queue is housed that, and, and go vertical with that to make sure you don't see anything with the soundstage behind it. But even as it stands right now, uh, most people don't even know that big building behind you is where the roller coaster is actually housed at. Right. Yeah. I, I think the same with Haunted Mansion. You know, there's yeah. that's yeah. one thing Disney historically has been great at, you know, Soren and Guardians accepted. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Epcot itself, I guess they took that same mantle of, what they're doing, what they did over at the studios and justified, they're now just justifying it over at Epcot. But um, to that point about putting Nightmare Before Christmas, say over there uh, in the studios or on Sunset Boulevard, back in the old WDW fanboys days, we were discussing what to do with the Osborne lights because we didn't think they could, they could get rid of them. Well, clearly they showed us, but the <laughs> facades that they set up in Streets of America, I can't imagine that those would be all that complicated to recreate. And if you go back behind Rock and Roller Coaster, there's that new theater where the Cars show is going. But there's still room back there. And they could basically create a Streets of America that's open for three or four months of the year just for a light display like that. Or they could make it open the entire year and put in something like a Nightmare Before Christmas attraction to justify that as like a holiday section for the entire year. So I could certainly see something like that coming to fruition. If you and I live about thirty minutes from a park called Holiday World, which originally was called Christmas World. It's in a town called Santa Claus, Indiana, and their whole theme 
our holidays and Christmas is their big one. Um, you know, there's no reason that if Disney had a Christmas based attraction that they couldn't have a small, you know, area dedicated to Christmas all year round. Um, you know, that's not an absurd idea. Yeah, no, it, it kind of goes back to the universal stuff. I mean, Hogsmeade Christmas themed area year round in that park. And then if they went with something with the Grinch, I, I think something Christmas themed permanent area in any of the Disney parks would work just fine. And people, people would love it. Agreed. Yeah, I, I think it's a it's a great approach to some of these things that we like on a seasonal basis becoming regular things. So, uh, did you guys have any other thoughts on holidays, Josh? I know you wanted to uh, discuss some do's and don'ts about how not to set fire to your house. I, I had you- I had one more thing that I got to experience this time that sure. uh, I thought was awesome, and it was free. And you don't see this very often at Disney World, obviously, but have any of you guys seen the pictures or videos from the Christmas tree trail that's down at Disney Springs? I've seen pictures. I haven't done it myself. Oh, my gosh. It was awesome. Absolutely awesome. Uh, It's back behind Once Upon a uh, Toy, uh, the shop back there behind kind of Earl Sandwich and uh, just tree after tree after tree themed around different Disney movies. Disney attractions. The Haunted Mansion tree by itself is the coolest Christmas tree I've ever seen in my life. Uh, but it's an area that you can spend a good hour walking through. You get to meet Santa Claus as well. I have, they have a virtual queue for meeting Santa Claus where uh, if you walk up, it's at a uh, 60 minute wait. You do 30 minutes outside of Christmas tree trail. They'll uh, text you to come back and you'll wait the final 30 minutes in line. Uh, but during that time, you can walk around and take a look at all the trees. It was you know upwards of 30 trees throughout that area. Um, and again, it, it's just an added bonus that they, they don't have to do. And, uh, but I know if we go during this time period and they're offering it, it's, it's absolutely a must do on every trip that we have during this time period from now on. It looks like they are diversifying their offerings. And when things like the Osborne lights go away, they have been replacing them, maybe not necessarily with, you know, the exact same thing, but with something else to occupy your time. And I, I had thought that Disney Springs was going to be kind of, they're going to use that to draw people over there. It seems like the restaurants are doing that for them, but uh, I saw some photos of that and they did look incredible. Um, I'll post some of those in the show notes as well as uh, pictures of Josh's house um, before well, while, he uh, goes black. While we're at Disney Springs, what whatever happened to the drone show over there? That seemed to be like a one year offering, right? Yeah. The, uh, yeah. Hotel show. Uh there's an interesting concept down there. I, 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 something I wish I'd seen in person. Uh, but yeah, that was kind of an interesting come in out of nowhere. They did it for one season and then just nothing ever again from it. I wouldn't be surprised if that was uh, Intel just saying, all right, we want to showcase this somewhere where we're going to get a lot of eyes on it. But still, the pressure is off relative to getting it out there for the Olympics, where wanting to get that for the Olympic opening ceremony. Even then they had to do that on a, I don't think they did that live. They did other portions no, they of the did, show. They did it before. So um, I think they wanted to kind of build up a little bit of, uh, you know, testing for it before they could do it on a grander scale. And even then they didn't do it live during the uh, Olympic ceremonies. And, and keep in mind, Intel's primary business is not making drones. I mean, that, <laughs> that point. you know, that was a marketing push that got their, their name out there. Uh, I won't bore you with, uh, you know, the finer points of what's been going on in the semiconductor business for the last five years, but suffice it to say that Intel has been getting their ass handed to them by arm, uh, for quite some time now on a lot of fronts. So, you know, some good publicity for a change was something that was good for them and hopefully developing some brand affinity, which they did. But I, I'm not sure it's something that in the long term, Intel has a real interest in being involved in. I, I, I can't I don't have any information to really speak to that with any authority. But it, I think it's worth noting that they make CPUs, not yeah. not drones. You know, that's we do got to get the word out on Intel. Though. They, their advertising budget has been cut in half. So we got to make sure we mention them. <laughs> the listeners in our show need to be queued in on Intel. This show brought to you by the Pentium. <laughs> <laughs> also, Google. We got to get the word out on that. Uh, Amazon. Anything else Amazon, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> uh, Josh, did you have any tips for people that don't want to set their house on fire? Yeah. So I, I have four quick tips. And for anyone who's uh, you know expecting to have their mind blown by these, please don't. But these are things that I've learned over the years of putting up a lot of lights that I wish I'd known earlier. So without further ado, just some things that, Anyone could think of if they suffered with the problem long enough, I'll try and save you some trouble. First problem that I 
I've had a bunch of times, and I know other people have as well, is sometimes you want to hook your exterior lights up to an outdoor outlet, like one that's on your porch, for example, or maybe on a back patio or something. But you want to use, let's say, a smart plug to control them. Or at the very least, you live up north and you want to be able to plug and unplug them without going outside. So here's a way that you can take an outdoor outlet and have and essentially have the plug interface be inside. And all you do is this. You take one extension cord, you plug it into your outdoor outlet, run the other end of it into, say, your garage where it's inside. Then you take another extension cord going the other direction, and you plug it into that one and run the female end back out to your yard where you're going to plug the lights in. So now you've got a disconnect in your garage that controls the power that's flowing from that outdoor outlet. So you can, you know, balance the load by having that circuit run some of your lights. You can use like a Wemo smart plug or something that's not rated to be outside and you don't have to worry about it getting wet. So that's tip number one. Figured that one out last year. Uh, Another thing, if you're going to have a lot of lights is like I mentioned earlier, it's very easy if you're not careful to start blowing circuit breakers. So for 20 bucks, you can go to Home Depot and buy a little device called a kill a watt. It's like a plan where it's kill a watt. I see what they did there. Yep. See what they did there. <laughs> ah, electrical jokes. Um, and it's just a little digital voltmeter and amp meter that plugs into the wall. And then you can plug your extension cord into that. And it will tell you how many amps you're pulling through that circuit. So, And you can you know, use that in the bedroom later, right? Yeah, absolutely. My wife on well, the front. <laughs> Let's just say the lights dim when I'm here recording. Um, so, you know, if you if you're plugged into a 15 amp breaker and you plug your extension cord with your lights in and you're at 14.5 amps, you can be pretty sure that if you let that go for a couple of hours, you're probably going to pop that circuit breaker. You know, so it gives you some quantitative data as to how to plug things in so that you're distributing it over multiple circuits. So that's a super helpful tool to have. And for 20 bucks, if you have any interest in putting up a lot of lights, you pretty much got to have one of those. Um, third tip. If you're plugging a bunch of lights in, let's say in your garage and you're running extension cords out the door, what I found is in, in a few houses that I've lived in, all of the wall outlets are on the same circuit breaker. The first two you burnt down. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say you have four outlets in the garage on the walls. Well, if they're all on the same circuit breaker, then plugging a different cord into each one doesn't help you divide the load among circuits at all. But even in the houses I've seen that have all of those outlets on the same circuit, You'll have things like garage door openers that have an outlet on the ceiling, and those have their own dedicated circuit breaker. So what you can do is take an extension cord, plug your garage door opener into the wall, and then plug your lights into the garage door outlet, and then plug other lights into the ones in the wall. So you can essentially get an extra 15 or 20 amps to play with just by doing that, because your garage door opener is not pulling any current except for when it's working, which is not going to be very often. So that's like super helpful if you find yourself up against the limit of what you can plug into the outlets that you've got available. And then finally, um, one of the worst things about putting Christmas lights up is when you spend a week and a half putting them up, and then two weeks later you find that you know lights that are 25 feet up in a tree are out because a fuse and a plug blew. Like for those of you who don't know, like when you plug lights end to end, they're protected by having little tiny fuses in the plugs. So the reason that most people blow these fuses is that they'll put lights in a tree and there's no place to plug them in except to the string in front of them. So they end up with a long daisy chain of lights and it eventually starts blowing those little fuses. So one way to avoid this is if you're going to run, like I have a big tree and it's got four big main branches on it. So what I did was I ran extension cords up into each of the branches before I put any lights on it. I just cable tied them to the tree. That way, each part of the tree has its own little outlet up there in the tree. So I can, you know, divide the circuits any way I want. And that allowed me to put much fewer lights on each circuit and it prevents any fuses from blowing. So just a couple of quick tips to make the installation go easier and to make sure that once they're up, they stay working. And as Tim said, uh, you don't risk burning your house down, which is probably not much of a risk because the worst you're probably going to do is blow a circuit breaker or break fuses on the outlets, but you don't really want to do that. So I, I always wanted to know what it was like to have a conversation with Clark Griswold. And now I know <laughs> the little lights aren't twinkling Clark. Ben, do you care to elaborate on any of this? I was watching Captain Marvel. I have no idea what he <laughs> See now you now you know what I feel like when you guys talk about <laughs> <laughs> So I think that's gonna do it for this show. If you have any questions or topic ideas, you can email us at martycalled at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter under the username at martycalled or join in on the discussions at our Facebook group, Facebook.com slash groups slash martycalled. We'd also appreciate our listeners bookmarking our Amazon affiliates link over on martycalled.com 
Doesn't cost you anything, but helps fund the show with purchases you're going to make anyway. So, Ben, where can we find you online? Uh, you can find me over at Twitter at RealSkipperBen, and you can find my Skipper Ben's Top 10 column in each issue of Attractions Magazine. And Josh, aside from various cam sites, where can we find you online? <laughs> uh, well, if you want to see clothing, uh, you can go to utilidors.com, U-T-I-L-I-D-O-O-R-S.com, uh, where I've got some original Disney and Epcot merchandise there. Great for the holidays. Uh, so stock up for that special Disney fan in your life. You got any project mapping t-shirts? <laughs> that might be coming up. <laughs> nice. Sponsored by Marty Called. And you can find me over at www.themeparks.com or Twitter at www.themeparks. Uh, we will be back at some point to discuss Epcot again and probably for the next seven episodes after that. Uh, but we certainly encourage all of our listeners to join us in the conversations over on our Facebook page. And Merry Christmas, people. And Happy New Year. Bye, everybody. Not everybody celebrates a New Year, Ben. Be sensitive. (laughs) I'm actually in 1986 right now.